Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. If you're new, we're glad you're here and hope that God meets you through his word. Uh, right now we're in a series in the life of Solomon called Cracks in the Foundation. His story as a king was told to explain why Israel was carried off into exile. And it helps us to examine the cracks in the foundation of our own lives and deal with them before they spread. Now, today's passage focuses on Solomon's prayer to dedicate the temple. And it highlights much of what's wrong with many of our own prayers. But this isn't just a religious message. The problems in our prayers mirror problems in the way that we see and relate to the world around us. Let me give you a positive example of that. In an NPR TED Talk, Lailani Schweitzer shared how her 20-month-old son died while in care at Stanford Hospital. The death of a child like that is devastating for any parent. The cause was a nurse's error and a lack of a fail-safe in the equipment that was used. But the way the hospital dealt with the problem was critical in her family's healing. She said this, it would have been easy for the hospital administrators to blame the nurse, fire her, and assume the problem had been solved because the bad apple was gone. It would have been typical deny and defend behavior for them to ignore my questions, to go silent, and hope I couldn't gather my thoughts enough to file a lawsuit. But they didn't do that. Instead, they investigated, they explained, they took responsibility, and they apologized. It made all the difference. In, in fact, it made such a difference that Schweitzer went on to work for the same hospital as the head of communication and resolution. She knows how difficult it is for a person or an institution to admit having seriously injured or killed someone. There's shame, guilt, and fear. Most hospitals don't apologize. They let the legal department handle the issue. Now in her position in the same hospital where her son died, she says this, I've been in many meetings where we explain to patients and families what has happened, and those are difficult things to be a part of. I've seen an explanation move the guilt off a mother's face. I mean, that is the power. I've seen parents walk into a meeting with a physician where no one can lift their heads to look at each other. And by, by the end of that meeting, they're embracing. Isn't that powerful? Wouldn't it be great if you could do that in your workplace, or with your teenager, or with your spouse, or your neighbor? The problem is that people seldom do, and we suffer for it. The place you learn to own your sins and failures is in prayer before God. It's where you learn to see the world through God's eyes and see your life in light of His purposes and His grace. But we miss all of that when we fail to pray or when our prayers resemble shopping lists for a divine vending machine. Consider your own prayers in the lens through which you see the world as we look at Solomon's amazing prayer of dedication in 1 Kings 8, 30-49. If you don't have a Bible, just click on the link for today's passage in the description below. I'll start reading at verse 30. And listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. And listen in heaven, your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath, and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, house then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, 
condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. When your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel. When you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, or if there is pestilence, or blight, or mildew, or locust, or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man, or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart, and stretching out his hands toward this house, then here in heaven your dwelling place, and forgive, and act, and render to each whose heart you know, according to all his ways. For you, you only, know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you give to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, here in heaven your dwelling place, and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, we have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray toward, pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. This is the word of God. Now, this is a remarkable prayer, and it teaches us to pray in three, we, three ways that have the potential to have us help us grow in significant ways. First, we learn to pray for justice, but just not too much. God wants us to invite his help in addressing the wrongs that are left undone in our lives but he helps us balance how we think about other people's wrongs as well. We learn to pray for justice, but just not too much. Now, if you had spent seven years building a temple that God filled with his glory, what would you ask for? If you were going to lead a nation in prayer, how would you start? 
In this passage, Solomon makes seven requests and he starts his first in verse 31 with these, these words. If a man sins against his neighbor, he has a brutally realistic understanding of humanity. Having played the role of Supreme Court justice for more than two, two, two decades as their king, Solomon knows how injustice destroys people's lives. He's seen firsthand how often people sin against their neighbors when they're called to love them. In this case, he pictures a scenario where the person has not only sinned against their neighbor, but they've been called to take an oath. We've got an instance of he said, she said, and nobody's willing to own their own sin. People are covering up and it's impossible to get to the truth. Solomon knows God's passion for justice. And so in verse 32, he prays, hear in heaven and act and judge your servants. We need to know and believe that God can bring justice where human justice falls short. God loves justice. He's the one who will eventually set right everything that's wrong in this world. And when we pray for God's justice, it changes us. Asking God for justice frees us from our tendencies to revenge. Asking God for justice frees us to forgive. Romans 12, 19 says this, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We're to seek justice in this world. But we have a God to whom we can entrust ultimate justice. We live in an age where people are passionate about justice. Social justice warriors abound. And it's right for us to be passionate about justice. And it's right for us to pray for justice. But Solomon's prayer puts our passion for justice in perspective. In his seven prayers, Solomon prays one for justice and four for mercy. I think we often get that balance wrong. We get the balance wrong when we become fixated on other people's sins and blind to our own. We can't ask God to give justice to other people and mercy to us. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus said, he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so justice cuts both ways. And a fixation on justice that isn't also marked by mercy is a sign of a person who's blind to their own sin. In the wake of the sexual abuse scandal at Penn State University, David Brooks wrote an article for the New York Times entitled, Let's All Feel Superior. <laughs> he was reflecting on the self-righteous pylon of people who are asking with outrage, how could they have let this happen? He said, it's easy to vilify others from the island of our own innocence. Because today, we live in a society ori oriented around what he calls our inner wonderfulness. So when something terrible happens, we always try to blame it on some someone else. Is he talking about you? <laughs> if you're shaking your head right now, that's the wrong answer. <laughs> He's talking about all of us, right? Ever vilified someone from your island of innocence? There's been plenty of that during the pandemic, hasn't there? There's a lot of good being done to address injustice in our world. But there's a sinful side of us that feels righteous in getting angry about other people's sins so we don't have to confront our own. In fact, we stop even being able to see our own. 
And Christians can be some of the guiltiest offenders. We get angry about the sins out there and excuse the sins in here. Don't do that. That's hypocrisy. So pray for justice. Seek justice. Just not too much. If you're honest about the sin of your own heart, you know that Solomon got the balance right. Four prayers for mercy for every prayer for justice. So Solomon begins praying for God's justice, but then he prays for God's mercy. He teaches us to pray about sin and its consequences. He shows us that what our lives need most isn't more entertainment or more comfort or more stuff or more escape. Those things just mask the problem. We need to confront our weaknesses. We need to pray about our sin and its consequences. Now, Solomon pictures the consequences of people's sins in four requests that he makes to God. With each one, it's as if the stakes are raised higher. So in verse 33, he says, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy. In verse 35, he says, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain. Then in verse 37, he prays, saying, if there is famine in the land. And then he mentions pestilence, blight, mildew, locust, caterpillar, plague, and sickness. <laughs> Sounds a little bit like 2021, doesn't it? <laughs> there you have it, a plague, uh, a prayer for 2021. Finally, in verse 46, he makes his longest request of the entire prayer. And it's all about the exile of God's people. He says this, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy. He's picturing the very situation that the first readers of this passage were in. By the time that the book of Kings was written, the Israelites were in Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed and their temple was burned. And the reason that Solomon prayed for these things wasn't random. These were all specific consequences for sin that Moses had warned about in Deuteronomy chapter 28. These were the curses of the old covenant. And while we don't experience them as believers under the new covenant, God still disciplines us for our sins, for our good. There's still consequences for the things that we do. It's one of the ways that he helps us to grow. But it would have been powerful for the Jewish exiles in Babylon to learn that at the dedication of the temple, Solomon prayed for mercy and forgiveness on people in the very situation they found themselves in. It would give them hope for God's intervention. But it would also teach them how they were to respond. Notice how Solomon bases his appeals for God's mercy. In verse 33, he says, if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray. In verse 35, he says, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin. And then in verse 48, he says, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul. Now, we're not very good at any of those things today. We expect God to take away all the bad stuff when we acknowledge his name, whether we do that or not. We expect his mercy, whether we pray or not. And like the bad hospital administration example that Leilani Schweitzer described, we tend to deny and defend rather than admit and turn from our sin. Do you tend to minimize your own sin? 
Does your sin even make it into your prayers at all? If you think you're just fine and sin is something that other people do, then there's nothing really to pray about, right? That's how pride distorts our prayers. God's forgiveness isn't for us to ignore and excuse our sin. It's given for us to be able to confront and turn from it. Solomon shows us that this is central to what prayer is all about. This is four out of the seven requests that he lifts up for God's people. So take time to pray about your sin and its consequences. So far, we've looked at one prayer for justice and four prayers for mercy. That leaves us with two final prayers, and they teach us to pray about what God has called us to do. God has created us with a purpose, and we need his help in fulfilling it. We need to pray about what God has called us to do. Now, that gets brought up in a couple of different ways in this passage. The first is with a prayer for the battle in verse, uh, verse 44 and 45. Earlier, Solomon had already prayed for God's mercy when the people faced defeat in battle because of their sin. But this prayer is different. He says this, If your people go out to battle against their enemy, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to the Lord toward the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear in, hear in heaven their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause. Now, this is a prayer for victory, not a prayer for defeat. But instead of talking about the people's sin, here he's careful to distinguish this as a battle that the Lord sends them into. Israel has been called to bring judgment on the Canaanites, and Solomon prays for God's help in their mission. And it's a reminder that we need to pray about the mission that God has called us to. God calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, and that goes beyond just smiling from your driveway. We're called to invest ourselves in the neighborhood, show concern for our city. We each have roles to play in looking for needs and responding to them. We each have people whom God has equipped us to reach. We're called to go out into the world and make disciples of all nations. And we have gifts that God wants us to use. All of that sounds great in principle, easy even. <laughs> but any of us who have tried to do what calls us to do realize how hard it is. There's spiritual opposition to God's mission for our lives. That's why it's hard for us to start. It's hard for us to sort out what we should do. We find closed doors and resistant people. We're misunderstood. Things don't work out. It's seldom a smooth path. So we need to pray about our mission. We spend a lot of time talking to God about what we want him to do, but we need to pray more for his help and what he's called us to do. Solomon gives us another example of that in his fifth prayer, starting in verse 41. I saved it for last because it's my favorite of his seven requests. I love, I, love, I love his wording. Just follow it with me in verses 41 to 43. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you, in order that all the peoples of the earth may know that your name may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel. I love first of all 
that he prays for the foreigner at all. He knows that God's original promise to Abraham was that God would bless his people and make them a blessing to all nations. Solomon anticipates this and prays for the foreigners who will come. I love that he prays for the foreigner, but I also love how he, how he prays for the foreigner. When he prays for fellow Israelites, he's mostly focused on their sin and their mission. And there are lots of conditions. If they turn to you, if they acknowledge your name, if they turn from their sin, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul. For the foreigner, Solomon's just full of grace. There's no expectation that he has to get the prayer just right. He just says, if the foreigner comes and prays, that alone would be a huge step. Just answer his prayer. Do everything that he asks you. <laughs> and you think, why does he pray so generously for the outsiders? And then he tells us in verse 43, it is in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you. Are you driven by that kind of love for outsiders? Do you show that kind of grace to foreigners? It's something worth praying about because this is God's heart for the world. And Solomon's prayer is still being fulfilled today. I'm not Jewish and I've never been to Israel, but the good news of God's greatness and the love of God showed in Jesus Christ reached me all the way in Canada. And if it hasn't already, it's extended to here, here to you as well. God loves justice and he hears our cries when we're beaten down. When we trust him to bring justice, it frees us to forgive. So pray for justice, just not too much. Don't ask for justice for others and mercy for yourself. Pray four prayers for mercy for every prayer of justice. And don't be complacent. Don't be complacent about your sin or presume on God's forgiveness. Pray about your sin and its consequences in your life. Be real in your self-examination and honest in your confession. Turn to God and be genuine in your repentance. His amazing grace gives us the courage to confront our sin not to ignore it. And don't just pray about what you want God to do. Ask for his help in doing what he's called you to do. There's a spiritual battle and we need his strength to withstand it. And at the heart of what God wants us to do is show grace to the outsider and share good news with all who will hear. Let's call on his grace in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the God who answers prayer. Thank you for hearing us. Thank you for caring to listen. Thank you that you're the God of justice. And you want us to pursue justice. You want us to seek to right the injustices of our world. But when human justice falls short, we know that you are the one who will make all things right. Father, when we're honest, we realize we can so often be too caught up demanding justice for the wrongs that other people do and overlooking and ignoring or denying the sins that we do. So help us to focus on our own heart, to focus on the sins that we are prone to, to seek your mercy 
because we know we need it. And then, and then to show that mercy to others. Send us out on mission. Send us out to reach the outsider, to reach the one who hasn't heard, to reach the one who still doesn't know this great news, that there is salvation in the wonderful Savior that you have given us in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to examine your own prayer life and see how prayer for God's justice, mercy, and mission could shape your life in ways that we all need. If it stirred up questions or if you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. And as always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.